you would open in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and I'd like to read for us verses 67 through 79. This is Zacharias' uh, prophecy. Great passage of scripture and a great reminder during this um, Christmas season as people gather tomorrow and they open presents and we get lost in all the American traditions, we realize based on this prophecy of Zacharias that the Lord had something greater and larger in store than just wrapping paper and gifts, right? If you would again listen now to the Lord's word as I read verses 67 through 79. This is the Lord's word. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the Lord's word. Would you bow with me, friends, as we pray and ask the Lord's blessing. <clears throat> Again, our Father in heaven, how grateful we are to you for your loving kindness towards us. What a wonderful blessing it is that we have the word of God, your word, the Bible. We can know your thoughts that we can know the truth and the truth that sets us free. Oh, Father, we come humbly before you again, thanking you for the privilege of worship and for the added privilege of being able to hear your word opened and explained. We pray, oh, Father, that you would give us ears to hear. and We pray that you would work upon the hearts of those in this place today and upon those who may listen to this in days to come. Oh, Father, we pray that we will not be lost and all of the trappings of this season, but that we would remember that the great gift and the great salvation you have given is the gift of your Son, uh, the salvation that is accomplished only in him. Bless now this word going forward and bless the ears of, of these people. We ask this all for the glory of Christ, in whose name I pray. Amen. I want to, uh, tonight, point your eyes to the great hope and the great salvation we have in Jesus Christ. These holidays, Christmas, Easter, uh, typically what our culture celebrates, and it always concerns me that we get lost. We get lost in why we celebrate these, these holidays. We, we, we uh, celebrate ham, and we, we have eggs, and we have presents, and we have all of these things. Of course, I'm combining these holidays. We don't have eggs at Christmas in our house, but. Actually, we do. <laughs> but that's an aside. Um, we have this great salvation that is given for us. And I'm, I'm sad that, uh, that people don't stop 
to recognize these things because really this is what life is about. And so tonight we want to look at the great salvation we have in Jesus Christ that you might praise him for what he has done. Here in Luke's gospel, um, Luke starts off his gospel account by saying that he has recorded everything in consecutive order so that Theophilus, the man to whom he is addressing, and, and we would say you and um, you all may know the exact truth about the things that have been taught. In verses 67 through 79, the passage I just read, we are told that these words are spoken by Zacharias. He's a priest in Israel. Uh, who having his mouth opened and his tongue loosed, being full of the Holy Spirit, he would prophesy, that is, he would speak forth God's word and would foretell what God was going to do. Being that Zacharias here is serving as God's mouthpiece, he is not speaking a dreamer's dream, meaning that Zacharias has not conjured up this message, it is not a, a message of his own imagination, but he is speaking God's perfect word, a word that is true, that is accurate, and a word that will come to pass and has come to pass. This is what Luke has recorded. And, and in verse 67, we read this, And his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. It is a message of praise, again, forthtelling what God has done. So a prophet had two functions. He would either speak forward, forth the word saying thus saith the Lord or he would foretell events that were to happen we find both of these occurring now in, in Zacharias's message he praises the Lord God for his great salvation thus establishing for us reason to praise the Lord and to believe the message that John his son in time would preach so he, he exhorts us to praise the Lord God for what he has done. Again, listen to verses 68 through 75. He writes, or he speaks, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant, as he, has spoke, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his his holy covenant the oath which he swore to abraham our father to grant us that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear he blesses or he praises the lord the god of israel again zacharias begins with praise to the lord uh, he is moved to lift up the lord to exalt him the covenant-keeping God of Israel. A covenant, again, being a promise, an arrangement that God says, I will do this. Marriage is a covenant, right? Where two people enter into this, and the only thing that can separate them is death. And so it's an arrangement that God has instituted, this covenant. And here, um, here this covenant-keeping God of Israel, because of the great things he has done, Zacharias now blesses the Lord, or gives praise to him. You've got to understand that the backstory to Zacharias and Elizabeth is a wonderful story. They are older folks, and you can read this throughout Luke chapter 1. They are older folks, both advanced in years, and they can't have children. They are beyond the stage of having children. They are both righteous, pious individuals. They're not perfect people, but they are a man and a woman who fear the Lord and desire to do what is right in the sight of God. They walk blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. 
And the days in Israel are dark. They're tremendously dark. We think of, uh, of what's occurring now in our country and we just shake our heads and we say, this country's winding down. We've come under a cloud and, and we see this, this, we experience and feel this heaviness. In Israel, it was no different. The days were dark uh, spiritually for Israel. There's been silence for 400 years. God has not sent a prophet in all of that time to bring a word. He has not spoken since the days of Malachi, and now they are under Roman rule. 400 years, that's long enough for a person to say, I think God has forgotten us. Maybe there'll never be deliverance for us as a people. We are under this bondage, it's, it's heavy, he hasn't spoken to us in all this time. And here this man, Zacharias, is given a message by the angel Gabriel. The message is that Zacharias' prayer has been heard. So imagine he goes into the temple, he's doing his duties, he's an older man, he's got an older wife, a pious man, fulfilling his obligations, doing what he's supposed to do, and he's in there a long time, and everyone's wondering, what's wrong with this guy? Did he die somehow in there? What is he ever going to come out of this place? But an angel has come, Gabriel has come to him, and he tells Zacharias that his prayer has been heard and that your barren wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a son, and you are to give him the name John. And for a man and a woman who delight in the Lord, their hearts, I'm sure, were likely to explode, as I know mine would, with uh, joy to know that their son, and I'm quoting here, he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Can you imagine how Zacharias's heart must have exploded at this news? A man who feared the Lord, who loved the Lord, and who wanted to see Israel delivered and to have an angel appear to him while in the temple, while serving, and to have this message so told to him, your prayers have been heard. And not only are you going to have a child, but your great concern for the glory of God and the good of Israel, your child is going to be the one who is used to usher in this good news. I can't imagine greater news to be given to a man and a woman in their position. But because he questioned and did not believe the angel's message, he was struck dumb. He did not speak, unable to speak for nine months. He went into that temple doing his service, saying, I'll see you in a little bit, fellas, and I'll be back. And he came out of that temple and he sang nothing. What's wrong? He's got a glow about his face. He's pointing at his mouth. He's motioning with his hand. He can't talk. He's been struck dumb. He's not going to be able to say anything. And he's unable to speak for nine months. Friends, this is a lot of time. When you can't speak for nine months, that's a lot of time to reflect on the words of the angel. Six months into Elizabeth's pregnancy, she gets a visit from her cousin Mary, who now, by the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowing her womb, is carrying in her a baby, the Lord Jesus. She and Elizabeth, together three months nearly, uh, no doubt spend a lot of time talking about the mercy and goodness of God. Zacharias is unable to say anything during that time. He's just listening. He's listening as the women are talking. 
He's pondering, he's meditating on what Mary had said in her Magnificat. Do you wonder at the fact that his very first words uh, were words of praise? If you look at verse 64, we're told, and at once, remember his name is John, that was you know, verboten, you don't name someone John when your dad's name is Zacharias. You name him Zacharias or something like this, but everyone said, no, no, you shouldn't name him. No, we're going to name him John. It's an act of faith. They were all astonished, and at once his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. He starts to speak in praise of the Lord. And so, filled with the Holy Spirit, he prophesied, Listen to why he blesses the Lord. This is the same reason today we may bless the Lord. It is because the Lord, the God of Israel, has visited us. 400 years of silence. There's been no word. There's been darkness. There's been grief. 400 years of silence. And he says, he says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. He has visited us. This is a peculiarity in Hebrew. When they talk, or when Zechariah says he has visited us, it means to look upon a person in order to help them or benefit them. We talk about a visit being, I'm going over there and I'm going to have some coffee. We're going to eat some chips and dip. We're going to do something like this. It's not at all what it means to visit somebody here in the, in the scriptures. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 36, naked and, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. So here, when Zacharias says that he has visited us, it is rather a visit like a doctor would make to an ailing, diseased person. Israel is suffering and the Lord has visited us. And not only has he visited us, but he has accomplished redemption for his people. To redeem something is also to ransom it. And it's what occurs when a slave is purchased or when someone's freedom is bought. Israel was in bondage to Egypt. The Lord had redeemed them out of that slavery in order to serve him. And so he says the Lord has accomplished redemption for his people. He's redeemed us. He's bought us out of slavery. And he continues by saying he has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, his servant. The horn itself symbolizes power. Not to think of it as a horn like a trumpet, but as the horn, as in a, a, an ox has horns, or a ram, or a bull, they have horns. The, the horn symbolizes power. In fact, it symbolizes destructive power. David would write in Psalm 22, Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me. That is, from among the descendants of King David, remember, as we've been looking at Matthew 1, that, that Jesus... Uh, is the son of David because he is uh, the legal heir of the throne of Israel. The Lord had raised up a horn to defeat their enemies, thus securing their salvation. At this time, again, Israel is under Roman control. They know what it is to have an enemy. As we see the life of Christ unfold, we see the people love Jesus because they thought that he was going to deliver the Israelites, the Jews, from Roman control. Boy, were they mistaken. That's not why he came, to deliver them from Roman control. 
And so they have this tangible enemy. And this is why Zacchaeus, or Zacharias rather, breaks into praise. Do you realize how long it has been, how dark it has been for them? And the message that he is now rejoicing in the Lord concerning. The message he brings, however, is not a new message, but it's an ancient message. And he goes on to say in verse 70 and 71, As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. The Lord has accomplished, and he speaks this way, uh, he has accomplished what he had planned from the very beginning, way back in the beginning of Scripture. And this is, this is the most astounding thing. That everything that Zacharias is saying here is nothing new. But it's the same message that has always been brewing. In other words, God doesn't have two plans. He has one plan. And that plan was unfolding uh, from the very beginning of time. In Genesis 3.15, what did the Lord promise? He said that he shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. In Numbers 21.8 Moses was instructed to make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. Remember, that is quoted in John 3, right? And Moses in Deuteronomy 18 would write, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And David would write in Psalm 110, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And Isaiah in chapter 7, 14 would say, Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear, uh, and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And in uh, chapter 9 of Isaiah, verse 6, we are told a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And if this weren't enough, we have Jeremiah and Zechariah and Daniel and Micah and Malachi, all these prophets, all foretelling of, of a salvation that was to come. They all spoke of one who was to come, who would deliver us from the hand of our enemies, from all who hate us. One commentator said, When through David's offspring God rescues his people from all their enemies and bestows salvation upon them, he is thereby showing kindness to the fathers with whom he established his covenant. By doing these, he would show mercy to our fathers. Do you understand that God long ago made a promise? And he said, I'm going to redeem my people. I'm going to deliver them from their enemy. And by doing this, he would show mercy to our fathers. How mercy is what is shown to us suffering people. God long ago made a promise, swore an oath by himself to Abraham. We are told in Genesis 22, 15 through 18, if you will listen to this as I read it, Genesis 22, 15 through 18. We read this. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Remember, this is the context of of Abraham offering up Isaac, and Isaac uh, was the sacrifice. And Isaac says to his father, where is the ram? Where's, where, where's the ram for the sacrifice? And what does Abraham say? God himself will provide. He will provide. And Abraham, according to the, the writer of Hebrews, he is about to bring down a knife 
and plunge it into that promised, his only promised child. He is not going to stop, and the angel of the Lord stops him. And Abraham was going to do it because he knew that if God can keep his promise, he knows he's able to raise him from the dead. And so we read, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Beloved, he is a God who keeps his promises. Long after the fathers had died, long after we die, he will keep his word, enforcing what he has promised by himself. And to what end has he brought about salvation from our enemies? To the end that um, we might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Zacharias speaks. He speaks in the past tense. It is about what God has done. So the question is, how has he visited us in our sickness? How has he redeemed us? In whom from David's house has, the, has he raised up to be our horn of salvation? Of whom did the prophets of old speak? Who was the seed who would crush the serpent's head? Who was the one, if looked to, would keep you from dying? Who was the prophet? Who is the word of God? Who was the one who would sit at the right hand of the Lord? Who was the child who would be brought forth from this virgin? who is called Emmanuel, God with us? Who is the one whose shoulders carry the government? Who is the one who delivers us from our enemies? In whom are the covenants and oaths fulfilled and the fathers shown mercy? In whom have we been freed in order to walk in newness of life? My friends, it is none other than Jesus Christ, that baby in the womb of the Virgin Mary who was born nearly 2,000 years ago. He is our salvation. Mary was three months pregnant. God had visited his people and he has delivered them. And we praise him tonight for what he has done. We praise him tonight for what he has done. And how would he do it? We praise him for what he has done and we praise him for what, from Zacharias' point of view, what he would do. What he would do. Listen to verses 76 through 79. And now Zacharias goes to speaking about this promised child that the angel Gabriel told him about. And you, child, he's speaking now about his son John. You will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Who is this enemy from whom we need deliverance? Again, if you look at verse 71, he says, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Um, he, is, he is reciting from Psalm 106. And in Psalm 106, the psalmist is writing about the enemy, Egypt. It is deliverance from the Egyptians. God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. The, the, the Jews, the Israelites, passed through the Red Sea on dry ground. 
And when Egypt tried to follow them with their chariots and their armies, the Lord caused the waters of the Red Sea to crush in and destroy the entire army. Thus, he delivered Israel out of bondage. He redeemed them out of slavery. They might be tempted to, when they hear these words to think it was from some other oppressor such as Rome. You might think that deliverance that the Lord promises is deliverance from our own government, from the Chinese, from the Russians, or some terrorist group like Hamas. You might think it's even deliverance from the progressive left. John's job was to go before the Lord as a prophet of the Most High and to prepare the way for the Lord to make ready the way so that the Lord may advance his kingdom and his reign. One commentator said that this prepare the way for the Lord pictures the coming of an oriental king for whom roads are put in order to facilitate his advance. So they would go before, they would make the ways smooth, they would remove rocks, they would fill in potholes, they would do all of these things in order so that a king may come. John the Baptist was born in order to facilitate, to prepare the way for Jesus Christ. This is why he came. How does he prepare it for him? To give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. My friends, to know salvation, you must know who your enemy is. If I don't know who my enemy is, how will I ever recognize when I've been delivered? You see, this is what people do with Jesus Christ. He's, he's there to just make me happy, healthy, and, and wise, and just make my life better now. That is not at all why he came. I drives me crazy to hear people talk like this. That is not why he came. Listen to Luke 3 as we read what John himself, John the Baptist, would preach in verses 7 through 9 of chapter 3. We read this. So he began saying to the crowds who were going out to him to be baptized by him. Listen to what he says. I don't think he would win any winsome awards. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore bear fruits in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you, from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. Indeed, the axe is already laid at the root of the trees. So every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And if you'll turn with me to John chapter 1, you can hear again what John the Baptist, uh, uh, what uh, a manner of his preaching. In verses 19 through 34, we read this. This is the testimony of John when the Jews sent him to, to... sent to him priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him, What then are you? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? So that we may give an answer to those who sent us, What do you say about yourself? He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord, as Isaiah the prophet said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him and said to him, Why then are you baptizing if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize in water, but among you stands one of whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. 
This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. This was John's preaching. He was sent to prepare the way for the Lord. To bring to people an awareness of what their great enemy was. Friends, our great enemy is not, are not the tyrants of this world in D.C. Or, or in any other country. It is not the terrorists. Our great enemy is Satan. It is Satan. And our problem is our sin which has brought us under the judgment of God. 2,000 years ago, these words were spoken. And this is no different than it is today for us. And while people are looking for freedom from governments and from government control, your biggest problem is Satan and your sin that has created a chasm between you and a holy God. And we have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. There is only one solution. There is only one way that our sins may be forgiven, that our sins may be pardoned. And it is only in Jesus Christ, only with the forgiveness of your sins, can you be delivered from the judgment to come, and only in his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. This would be accomplished only because of the tender mercy of our God. Only because God has looked upon us with pity, he has visited us in our despondency, seen us as slaves in bondage without hope, and has raised up a horn for us with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. This is why Zacharias is praising the Lord. The Lord has visited with this great salvation. The prophet Malachi would say, just before that 400 years of silence in chapter 4, For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. You will tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day which I am preparing, says the Lord of hosts. That is... God has sent his son to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. This was John's purpose, to prepare the way of the Lord, to show them their need of the Savior by exposing their sin. That's why John came. So seeing their darkness, feeling their sorrow, they might, like the dawn, is welcome to the weary look to the Son of God. We live in a very sad world. We live in a world that is full of sorrow and sadness and great sickness. And this is all because of sin. Jesus Christ came. You see, all of the Christmas trappings, we lose sight of the why. 
why do we have a Christmas? It's because Christ himself, Christ the Savior, came into the world to deliver us from the judgment of God himself, who is just and will punish sin. That's good news if you will hear it, <laughs> right? If you reject it, it'll be, the, it'll be the saddest thing you ever did. We look to the Son of God who has come to deliver us and to guide our feet into the way of peace that we may be delivered and saved. This is why Jesus Christ has come. This is why Zacharias is praising God for what he has done and praises God for what he will do. Because as we said, when God speaks and when he makes a promise, he always keeps his word. He fulfills it. And he has done it, friends. He has done it in Jesus Christ. And that's why we rejoice. Let's pray. Our Father, again, we thank you so much for your word. And we thank you for the gospel, the gospel of salvation, the good news that we no longer need uh, be under your judging, um, your judging eye. Our sins, we know and recognize, Father, have created a distance between us, your creatures, and yourself. And we know that Christ came in order to take the penalty of sin upon himself and to give to us the righteousness necessary uh, to be in your presence and be blameless. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would not take in these days your grace for granted, but that we would in faith look to you, believing all that you have done for the sinner in Jesus Christ. And may our hearts be lifted up and may we give praise to you for the great things that you have done. We humbly ask these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.